Well, good morning, everyone. Um, let me add my welcome to Abiel's and to John's. My name's Tom, part of the team here. Um, and you're very welcome here, whether you've been at St. Mary's a long time, maybe since the beginning, or whether it's your first time today. So today, as John said, we're finishing up our series called A Church of the Way, where we've been looking at what it means to be the church, what the New Testament calls the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones. And through this series, we've been exploring how we as a church, how first of all, we learn to be with Jesus. Being a church of his presence and a church that delights in him. We've then looked at how we become a church that is becoming like Jesus, going on a journey of personal formation, but also being communally shaped into the family of Christ. And finally, we've explored being a church that then actually does the things that Jesus did. Last week, we looked at being a church of joyful generosity, and it's just great to hear the feedback from John, isn't it, about how in a time of cutting back, you guys have really stepped up and gone well beyond what we could have predicted. And today, we finish off our series by looking at being a church in his name, a church that is called to engage with mission and evangelism, to make the name of Jesus known across our city. Um, in the next picture, you'll see that at home, I've recently built a kind of little jungle gym in the garden. Um, I then actually, some of you may know Pete and Ali, who used to live in this house. And um, as I was clearing space for it, that was all quite overgrown. You see the trellis at the top. I took ages and ages kind of unraveling all of the bramble from there, chopping it all down, getting rid of it. I bumped into Pete and he said, oh yeah, people used to jump over the fence all the time. So I put the, <laughs> put the brambles up there to stop them. So our house is slightly less safe than, <laughs> safe than it was before. Um, but as soon as I'd finished the, uh, the jungle gym there, my kids run it straight away, as you can see. That's Rihanna flipping upside down. They were spinning all around, learning loads of new tricks. And even though I'd actually built it, my first in instinct to them was like, oh, be careful, don't do anything too crazy. Maybe just, you know, like, do a little jump off of it. Um, and I, I stopped and suddenly thought, oh, well, when did I start playing it so safe? Now, obviously, it's good to be responsible, isn't it? But I was being governed by fear and scared of what was going to happen. And it's okay to feel fear in our lives, but we shouldn't let fear govern how we live and act and make our decisions. And my prayer for us today is that God would reawaken a boldness in us concerning mission and evangelism, that at this time, though it may feel more risky than ever, it also feels more crucial than ever that we make the name of Jesus known. So let's not play it safe. You know, simply mentioning the words mission and evangelism will prompt different reactions. Some of us will be like, yes, finally, we've heard about all the stuff going on in church, but I just want to go to the pub and talk about Jesus. Where are my evangelists at? Okay, we've got three. <laughs> Others of us are probably thinking, he's going to get me to talk to that person at work, isn't he, about Jesus? Don't make eye contact. Is it too late to sign up for the kids group? You know, the basic idea is that the church exists to give itself away. That as disciples or apprentices of Jesus, we have good news that we can't keep to ourselves. And perhaps most famously, that is tied to the, what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus' final words to his apprentices were to go. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. But sometimes when we hear the word mission, our mind might then jump to missionaries, you know, people that are sent within this country or other countries abroad um, to share the name of Jesus. 
Or we might think of, oh yeah, I remember a missional event. So, you know, once a term we might do a missional event where we hope that people come into church. The word evangelism, maybe we maybe uh, associate that more specifically with preaching the gospel and using words. So we might have images of people standing on the street with a megaphone or handing out leaflets and going door to door. But let me take you on a little history trip. Long before there were mission agencies or YWAN gap years or tier fund or food banks or the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, you know, way before there were conferences and festivals and focus and Davis tent, Long before the church was formed, long before Jesus was born, long before the Israelites were led out of Egypt, long even before the Alpha Course, God had already begun his mission. You know, from the moment that sin entered the world, fracturing our communion with God, God, out of love, set in place a plan to win his people back, to draw people back to himself, to renew and restore creation to defeat sin and death through the death and resurrection of Jesus and to make all things new. The heart and the drive of that mission come from God and we simply get to join in. Pete Hughes, who's a pastor at KXC in London, and he helpfully frames this kind of grand biblical narrative in three movements. First of all, creation, second, decreation, and third, recreation. So first he says creation, you know, God created everything. He saw that it was good and he dwelt amongst his people. Then second, decreation, the fall. Sin infects and affects every area of that good creation and direct access to God's presence is lost. But then third, recreation. God makes all things new. Sin, sickness, death and the enemy are defeated and God dwells amongst his people once again. In Revelation 21.5, right at the end of the Bible, Jesus is speaking about the completion of this story when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, I am making everything new. But there are two Greek words for new. One is neos, which means brand new or recently born. But the other, kainos, which is used in this concept in Revelation, means renewed or a new and better condition. So the Christian story does not end with God doing away with creation and starting again, but rather God redeeming, restoring, and recreating all that has been lost, renewing all things. Salvation, yes, is about personal repentance and personal relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. 2 Corinthians 5 says, salvation is the act of God reconciling all things to himself. And Pete Hughes goes on to say, the more we indwell that narrative, the more we long for the completion of the story. In other words, the more we live in and live out the grand story of creation, decreation, and recreation, the more we realize the end goal is not just a bigger church, but the end goal is the renewal of all things. And that realisation that God wants to use us in mission to renew all things gives great meaning and purpose to even the smallest details of our lives. It means our careers become incredibly important, our relationships with our friends and family and neighbours, our interactions at the school gate, how we treat our bodies, how we care for the earth, you know, reading the news and intercessing, serving practically, 
investing our time in education and social projects all take on vital importance because as followers of Jesus, we are tasked with being agents of renewal to every sector of society. And playing a part in the renewal of all things is not limited to vicars and those on the church team, but to everyone. You know, if you work behind the bar in metrics, you're not just treading water waiting to engage with God's mission on a Sunday. God has designed you and placed you specifically where you are to play your part in the renewal of all things. And that could be through the way that you interact with and care for your colleagues and customers, through your attitude towards your work, through your diligence in making and serving excellent food and drink, although I did say metrics. The wor- <laughs> <laughs> It's a joke. The, wo- <laughs> the words you use and the presence of Jesus that, that you carry with you. It's always awkward then delivering a deep line after you've just made a joke, but anyway, you get the point. You never underestimate the significance of where God has placed you specifically and how he wants you to use you to show others the love that God first showed you. So all this is to say that mission is not an activity the church decides to do sometimes. The church exists to participate in God's mission. And as we allow that subtle but significant shift in understanding to take place, we begin to see the whole of life as a chance to simply join in with what God is already doing. So there's two things to hear here. In one sense, actually, the pressure is off. We are never going to save anybody. God is already on the move, and he loves the world way more than we do. But at the same time, there's a clear challenge and opportunity. You know, are you aware of what God is doing among the people that you know and in the places that you live and work? Are you looking for signs of renewal? You know, are you walking in step with the Spirit and making, space, sorry, making yourself available to play your part? Is there space in your diary, your wallet, your thought life and your prayer life to join in with God's mission? Are you taking responsibility for the unique setting that God has placed each of you in to reach the people that only you can reach. So how do we do it? How are we to become a church in his name, playing our part in God's mission? What does it look like in practice? I would suggest the biblical model which Jesus laid out for us is based on three elements. Words, works, and wonders. St. Francis of Assisi, who was an Italian Catholic monk from the 1200s, He's got this famous quote and he said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I was like, ah, see what you did there, St. Francis, very clever. Preach the gospel, but with your life, let our actions do the talking. But the thing is, words matter. People don't become Christians purely because you live a nice life around them or buy them some food or deliver a sofa to their house. Don't get me wrong, those things can be incredible acts of service. They can be genuine acts of love which express God's heart. And they may well result in provoking a curiosity to the Christian faith. But ultimately, to become a disciple, you need to hear the good news of Jesus. Romans chapter 10 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them. At the beginning of Mark, Jesus had been healing many people. 
And his disciples come to him saying, Jesus, this is going amazingly. We need to ramp this up. Let's go and heal some more. And it may surprise you, Jesus' answer. He says, no, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You know, in the book of Acts, amongst all the miracles and all of the good deeds, it was in response to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 where he preached, repent and be baptised, that 3,000 people became followers of the way. You know, in the weeks building up to the sermon, I felt prompted to make extra intentional space for God to use me in the ways that I'm talking about. And a couple of weeks ago, this lady stopped me in the street and asked for food. And often I just say, no, sorry. But I felt like I should take her need seriously. So we landed on a Tesco meal deal, went in, chose what she needed, and I paid, and she was incredibly grateful. But later, I was reflecting and realised that lady's probably just thinking, I've just met a kind, caring, charming stranger. But <laughs> that's not a joke. But, <laughs> but she's got no idea, she's got no idea why I did that or who Jesus is. Essentially, I played it safe. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The thing is, that quote is actually a misquote. St. Francis almost certainly didn't say it. In fact, he was a prolific preacher. One biographer writes, Francis preached in up to five different villages per day, often standing on a bale of straw. He was so animated and passionate that his feet began to move as if he were dancing. So watch out, if it all kicks off later, you might see me entering a little jig. But as a church in his name, we need to talk to people about the name of Jesus with actual words and that doesn't mean aggressive judgmental preaching at people in the street or reading the book of Romans to somebody's face at work that would be weird it could be as simple as when someone asks you what you did at the weekend not just saying oh I went for a walk on Saturday saw some mates on Sunday had a bolognese watched the football but actually I went to church you know it's really cool we're thinking about what we should do as a church to support people through the cost of living and see where the conversation goes. And as those relationships build, you may have the privilege of sharing your testimony, which as we heard a couple of weeks ago at the baptisms, is an incredibly powerful way of sharing Jesus with words in a personal way that people can see the evidence of right in front of them, you. I've recently been reading the Talking Jesus Report, another wild night in the, in the Volta household reading that. <laughs> But trust me, it's more exciting than it sounds. It's a detailed national study on how Christians share their faith and how people become Christians. There's loads and loads of interesting things in there, but there are three that really stuck out. Number one, the top way that people come to know Jesus, other than growing up in a Christian household, is through reading the Bible. Now, I believe the Bible is really powerful, but that really surprised me, that reading and taking in the actual words of the good news of Jesus was the most common reason people became Christians other than growing up in a Christian house. Number two, non-Christians were asked, how would you find out about the Christian faith? Top answer, Google it. Now, maybe that's a sign of the digital age, or maybe it's a sign of how awkward we've become about talking about our faith that people would rather Google God than talk to someone like me or you. And then number three, in the UK, 6% of people identified as practicing Christians. Among 18 to 24s, it's only half that. 
but 53% of non-Christians know a practicing Christian. So the greatest reach of the church by far is through the normal everyday relationships that practicing Christians already have with friends, family, colleagues and neighbours. The 6% can reach over half of the UK non-Christian population just by talking to the people that you already know. So I want you to stop for a moment and reflect on how you got here today. Through your life, bring to mind the people that have spoken words to you. Words of welcome, words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of invitation, words of truth, and words of testimony to bring you to this point in your journey. But now pause to consider the people that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart, the people that he's stirring in you a compassion for, family members, friends and colleagues, maybe with whom you've been playing it safe. And today God wants to give you a new boldness to share his love with them through words. And actually, nine times out of ten, you'll be overwhelmingly surprised by how open people are, often just waiting for someone to take them seriously and talk to them about life and faith and God. A little more than a, a few years ago, I was at the University of Southampton, Uni of, and I'd grown up um, in a Christian home, and so I went to university, and when people asked me, I would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and when there were different debates and conversations going on as they do, I would you know, chime in with kind of random, usually irrelevant Bible verses and facts to try to prove a point. <laughs> but in reality, my life couldn't have been further from the words I was saying. You know, my lifestyle was selfish and reckless. I essentially persecuted the other Christians in my halls, you know, making fun of their events. And I used to play unhelpful pranks like posting fake letters under their door saying their student loan had been cancelled. Um, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, my life was so far removed, my life was so far removed from my words that I may as well have not said anything. In James chapter 2, we read, you simply cannot separate words and works. Just as it is fruitless to be kind to people but never mention the name of Jesus, so too is it empty to preach to people but neglect their tangible needs and overlook injustice. Yes, Jesus came to preach, but the very first thing he did to begin his ministry was walk into the synagogue, open the scroll from Isaiah and read these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that's why as a church, we're not just interested in preaching, but in the marketplace, the youth cafe, the money course, welcoming refugees, providing a warm space in the winter, serving food at Alpha. You know, it was practical works of hospitality, love and justice marked the life and ministry of Jesus and we at his church are to do the same. A couple of weeks ago, um, we had Emma and Will Wiseman round for dinner, and it was lovely, we had a great evening. You know, spending time with intelligent, interesting, good-looking people must have been a real blessing for Emma and Will. <laughs> John knew that was coming and he still laughed, so. <laughs> but I would suggest that that evening was not hospitality, but rather entertainment with friends. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the biblical concept of hospitality. In Luke 14, Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, 
your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. The New Testament word for hospitality literally means love for the stranger. We love the stranger because that's how God loved us. We were the stranger, called back into his loving arms and welcomed home. The Christian writer Rosaria Butterfield says, let God use your house, flat, dorm room, front garden, community gym, local park, or workplace, or we could add the church building, for the purpose of making strangers into neighbours and neighbours into family. Where we live, we're surrounded by students, and when they moved in a few weeks ago, I felt prompted, me and Jenny did, to invite them over for, for a barbecue. So we'd never met them before. They invited them to jump over the wall, played football, had a lovely barbecue. Um, and we were just trying to show, show them hospitality, show them some welcome. Um, but then four of them came to church that evening, and two of them are now, now doing Alpha. I don't think that probably would have happened if we just posted an Alpha flyer through their door. That's just one example. Not everyone has a garden and a barbecue, and you may need to exercise some creativity in how you put this into practice. But the call of Jesus is clear, to individually and communally steward the resources we have to practically show the love of Jesus through works of service, displays of hospitality, and acts of justice. Our city needs us to be a church in the name of Jesus, demonstrating the love of God through words, and through works. But Jesus' strategy, and consequently ours, includes a final element, wonders. Supernatural signs, miracles, and healings which demonstrate the power of Jesus and authenticate our words and our works. They're interwoven throughout Jesus' ministry of preaching and caring for the poor. We find he healed the sick, raised the dead. He cast out demons, prophesied, walked on water, multiplied food, calmed a storm, turned water into wine, and ultimately conquered the grave. And these wonders were not just magic tricks. They either confirmed the authority that Jesus was claiming to have, or set the stage for him to then teach those who witnessed the wonder. And we too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can pray for wonders today, to bring both healing and restoration in themselves, but also to open people's hearts to hear the gospel. Throughout church history, it seemed almost impossible to hold together words, works, and wonders. With different denominations and expressions of church tending to emphasize one but neglect the others. But Jesus never intended those three to stay separate. His ministry demonstrated words, works, and wonders working powerfully and beautifully together, bringing holistic healing, renewal, and transformation to individuals and societies. In Mark chapter 1, as we, I mentioned earlier, Jesus had healed many. There's the wonders. But then he says, we've got to move on to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. There's the words. But then as he goes about preaching using words, he casts out demons along the way. There's the wonders. Then the next chapter, Mark chapter 2, Jesus encounters a paralyzed man. But instead of diving in straight away with the miraculous healing, he first says, son, your sins are forgiven. He uses words to explain the gospel. But then to show that he has the authority to forgive sins, he says, take up your mat and walk. And the wonder backs up the words. 
Mark chapter 6, we read Jesus has compassion on the large crowd. He sees they are hungry, and so he feeds them. There's a work meeting their physical need. It's also a miraculous work, feeding 5,000 people. It's a wonder. Then in the same section, we read Jesus had compassion on that group because they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And there's the words. It's words, works, and wonders together. I could go on and on through virtually every chapter of Jesus' ministry. No words without works, no works without words, punctuated throughout with wonders. You know, if our goal is simply justice, we'll settle for social projects. If our goal is simply personal conversion, then we'll settle for proclamation. If our goal is simply signs and wonders, we'll settle for praying for miracles. But if our goal is worship, to see God glorified, to join in with God's mission to renew all things, to serve our city, then our lives will be marked by words, works, and wonders in a beautiful overlapping dance where we speak the name of Jesus, we care for the poor, and we regularly see the miraculous. You know, from the moment of decreation, God has been on a mission of love to restore us to relationship with him and renew the whole of creation. That love which we have received is just way too vast, way too precious, way too compelling, and way too life-transforming to be kept to ourselves. And so we play our part in the renewal of all things as an act of love because he first loved us. You know, sharing Jesus in words is an act of love. It's because I deeply care about the person I'm speaking to and long for them to know the name of the one who loves them more than I ever could, Jesus. You know, we offer hospitality, we welcome the stranger because each one of us were the stranger and the foreigner to God who welcomed us home. Our words ring hollow and empty if we neglect people's practical needs. And we pray for wonders because we long to see God move in power. We yearn to see the future kingdom where there's no sickness and hurt break into the present to be visibly evident in the lives of the people that we love and care for. And so as we land our series on being a church of the way, let's not see our church as a safe castle where we occasionally let down the drawbridge and do submission, but rather let's live as a church without walls where all are welcome, where our words, works and wonders spill out abundantly into the city around us. We love because he first loved us and that love doesn't, doesn't play it safe. I'll invite the band up and we're going to respond um, in worship and with some ministry time. Um, but let me just pray to finish. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Just across this series, God, we thank you for the way that you've been shaping and forming us as a church and giving us a heart for those inside and outside the church. And we pray today, God, for a boldness that you'd stir something in us to be used powerfully by you to play our small part in your mission to renew all things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.